Jesus, thank you that you came to be our hope. Into a dark and weary world, you broke through your light shone brightly. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to all those who are suffering. You came to the weary, to the heavy laden. You came to the broken. You came to those in, in need of healing and restoration. You came to the stranger, to the alien, to those who are far off. Jesus, thank you that you came and you came so that we might have a sure and lasting hope. God, I pray that this morning as we look forward to celebrating your birth this week, that we would see that, Jesus, you truly are our hope. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Merry Christmas. That was pretty good. It's pretty good. You weren't ready for that. I don't think I've done that before. So Merry Christmas. That's good. Thank you. That's great. Turn in your Bibles to Romans. You know the typical Christmas passage of Romans, right? You know that one. Can you find it in, in the book there? Um, turn to Romans chapter 15. Uh, today we are not in the letter to the Corinthians as we look forward to Christmas in just six days from now. But I wanted to draw your attention to Jesus as our hope from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. So turn in your Bibles to Romans 15. We're going to be reading verses 8 to 13. This is God's holy inspired word for us. For I tell you that Christ came, Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Father, that is our prayer. We pray with the Apostle Paul that we might abound in hope. God, would you fill each and every person here who is feeling hopeless? Would you fill them with your hope? Would you fill each and every one of us here with your joy and peace as we believe in you so that by the power of the Spirit we might abound in hope? God, would you enable all of this by your Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Christmas is a time of many distractions. We're distracted by all kinds of things this time of year and busyness and there's lots of hustle and bustle and 
thoughts about what we're going to do, our plans. We're, we're on top of all of that. We're, we're also just a distracted society, aren't we? We are distracted by the news. We're distracted by social media, by entertainment. And for many of us, it's all served up on little devices that we carry around with us. Just as a show of hands, anybody here who all has devices that, that serve up distractions to you? Who, who has those with you? Yeah, most of us. Most of us are pretty distracted. And, and, the, and the effects of that is that often this season can feel like, I don't really feel like it's Christmas yet. We can become distracted by so many things. And on top of that, there's a lot of causes for concern and worry in the world right now, too. You can, you can be concerned about the economy and the rising cost of groceries. You can be concerned if you need a car that, oh my goodness, now cars are 30% more than they were just a year ago. You can be concerned by, by all kinds of things like that. Or maybe you're concerned by a new variant of a virus. Or maybe you're concerned about relationships with family and friends and you might be dreading this coming week because of that and all the expectations that go along with that. There's a lot of challenges to our hopefulness this season. There's a lot of distractions that keep us from hoping where we should be hoping. And in times like this, they can reveal what we're hoping in and who we're hoping in and what we're longing for, what we're expecting, what we're, what we're looking for to feel satisfied and hopeful. Maybe you're hoping for change in yourself. Maybe you're hoping that your relatives, your family, your friends will change. Maybe you're hoping in change in government or change in our current situation. Maybe you're hoping for change in your circumstances. Maybe you're hoping for change in your health or the health of a loved one. A lot of those things may not come. They're not guaranteed. But there is a hope that God guarantees us that we need to set our minds on and set our confidence on. We're, we're just six days away from celebrating Christmas, but if we're not careful, we'll be distracted and we won't really place our hope in Christ. What we see from the passage that the Apostle Paul is writing here is that Jesus Christ, he is our hope. He is our hope. Not not people. Not circumstances, not finances, not situations, not health, but Jesus is our hope. He's our sure and lasting hope. And, and I want you to ask yourself the question of, what am I hoping in? What am I hoping in today? What am I hoping in right now? Ask yourself that question, just honestly. You don't, have to, don't answer that out loud. You might weird some people out with your answers, but you know, what am I wanting to change? What am I expecting to change? What am I longing for? in order to have hope. And the reason why I want us to ask this question is because I think we will encounter where we might be tempted to put our hope in false things. But this morning, I believe that God would have us put our hope in the only sure hope. And that's him, himself, Jesus. The first verses, the first two verses of this passage really tell us that, that Christ is our servant of hope. He is our servant of hope. We, we know that, that Jesus is the Son of God. We know that he is now reigning and ruling. If we, we were here when we preached the book of Revelation, he is, the, he is the conquering king. He's conquered, he's reigning, he's ruling. But he didn't come that way to begin with. He came as a servant. But he could have come differently. 
He could have come as a conquering king to begin with. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the fact that instead of Jesus coming as a baby, he could have come fully formed as the God-man, as a king? He wouldn't even have to appear as, as man. He could have just come as a king to demand obedience from all of his subjects, and that would have been right and good. I don't know what you think about when you think of a king or a, a potentate. If you think about somebody who's distant and aloof, somebody who you're not allowed to touch like Queen Elizabeth, somebody you can't get near, or, or maybe you think of a king as, as a ruler, somebody who's, who's in charge, who, who wields all the authority and power of maybe perhaps the president, but yet with no checks and balances. Jesus could have come like that, and it would have been right for him to come like that. You see, that's, that's what we deserve. We deserve to have him come as a king who ruled and reigned. But he, but he didn't come like a king. I, I, I was thinking this morning that, that I don't know how often I've thought of that, that Jesus could have come as the conquering king to begin with. And yet he didn't. He came as a servant. He came as a child. He came to serve humanity. He didn't come ruling and reigning. He didn't come as the kind of Messiah that the Jews expected. No, our hope actually rests in the fact. Our hope is in the fact that Jesus came as a servant, that he came to serve us primarily by living a perfect life, by gaining the credit that, that was required by God, by all of humanity. He, he came to enter into the world to serve his people by perfectly keeping God's law in every way. Why is that hopeful for us? It's hopeful because if, if you're like me, you know that you do not keep God's law perfectly in every way. If your hope for merit before God relies on your ability to keep God's laws, there's no hope. If your merit lies, not only, maybe you, maybe you trusted in Jesus and say, hey, you know, Jesus, thank you that you saved me from my sins, and now you've washed me clean, and now you, you, you feel like you have to keep your merit before God in order for God to accept you. If your hope is in that, you have a faulty and false hope, because you will fail. And I think you know that because you continue to fail. I continue to fail each and every day. But thank God that Jesus came as a servant. He came to serve by, by setting apart himself like those who were circumcised should have been set apart. He came to be the completely holy one like all those he had called to be holy. He came to serve as, as our representative, that he came to, to obey and be holy in our place. Mark 10.45, Jesus says of himself, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to serve, be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Just think, what if Jesus came as a king? Who could have, who could have stood before him? If Jesus came requiring obedience from all, who would have had confidence? Who would have had hope? If Jesus came to mete out justice, you know, often in this world we, we declare that we want justice. We just want justice for everybody else. We don't want justice for ourselves. What if he came to carry out justice when he first came 2,000 years ago? No one would stand. And yet he didn't come that way. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom. 
He served in his obedience all the way to the point of death. He served in taking on the wrath that we deserved. Think about every sin that you are aware that you've committed. And I say you are aware because there's thousands or maybe millions more that you're not aware of. Think about every way that you've not been perfect, every way you failed, every way you have not lived up to your own expectations, God's expectations. You've not loved your neighbor as yourself. You haven't loved your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Jesus took all of the punishment for all of those things on himself. He bore the wrath of God completely. He served truly. And it says, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, he'd given all the promises of his blessing, all the promises of freedom, all the promises of fulfillment. And yet the Jews must have wondered what in the world was going on. He became a servant to give us hope by confirming every promise to the people of God. In Galatians 4, verse 4, it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus came to fulfill the promise of blessing all the nations by, by giving adoption to all those who would put their hope in him. That's good news for you, me and you, because most of us in this room are Gentiles. And yet we've received God's merciful forgiveness and pardon instead of punishment. If we put a trust in Jesus, we can receive God's favor instead of God's fury. And instead of being estranged and not his people in Christ, we've been made a part of his family and made his people. Instead of Jesus coming as a king demanding that all lawbreakers be punished, he came fulfilling all the demands of the law. He came as a servant. He, he took our place. He obeyed in our place. He died for us, gave us mercy. He didn't come as a conquering king. He came as the king who conquered by being a servant. He came resurrected for us. We might have hope in life. And then we see in the verses 9 through 12 that, that Christ came as our fulfilled hope. He came as our fulfilled hope. He came as the fulfillment of all the hopes of mankind. He came as the fulfillment of every single prophecy in the Old Testament. Paul here, he's, he's giving multiple prophecies about Jesus and showing that Jesus came as the fulfillment of each and every one of those prophecies. A few weeks ago, Aaron Campbell, he finished preaching through the, the book of Malachi the book of Malachi was, was largely a downer book in one sense because through all of the years in the book, it, it revealed that through all the years of exile, it didn't change the hearts of the people. The people were carried away into exile and Malachi was trying to point them back to the fact that they needed to change their ways and live for God. And, and in the end, really, the temple remained corrupted. The people were still rebelling against God. And the reader was left waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled, and yet they were not. And then one of the promises at the end of Malachi, as the close of the Old Testament canon kind of wrapped up at the end of Malachi, Malachi 4.2, it says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall." Another promise towards that, that end of Malachi was that in Malachi 4 or 5, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. 
And yet for 400 years, for 400 years, the Israelites didn't see this happen. They didn't see leaping. Instead, they were shackled under the Roman rule. They didn't see the the sun rising with healing in its wings. They didn't see the great and awesome day of the Lord for 400 years. Instead of living in the con- as conquerors in the land of promise that God had given to them, they were a conquered people. Instead of receiving healing and leaping like calves from the stall, it's a, a sign of freedom and rejoicing. The Israelites were in captivity to the Roman Empire. They must have wondered, how in the world would all the families of the earth be blessed through them when they did not feel like they were being blessed? You know, sometimes we can identify with the way the Israelites must have felt in that 400-year period. We can, we can lose sight of God's word. We can lose sight of God's promises. We can lose sight of all that he's told us. And sometimes we can feel that when will God do this? Will God actually do these things? And as we look forward to celebrating Christmas... We can look back and remember that, yes, we can be sure because Jesus came and he fulfilled every hope of mankind, every hope of the Old Testament. He came to set them free like he'd promised in Exodus and Leviticus. He came to break the bars of slavery. He came to set them free so they could hold their heads high. They've been taken captive in many lands, and yet he came to set us free from slavery to sin, from bondage to the devil, to his kingdom. He came to give us peace that he promised in in Numbers 6 when it says that he's promising peace to his people. He came to give us peace by giving us all of his merit. That's what we hope in this Christmas. He came to give us peace by taking all of God's wrath. He came to give us peace by reconciling us to God. He came to give us peace by giving us his righteousness so we can come into God's presence freely. How did he give the Israelites victory? Well, he's given them victory over sin. Victory over every temptation in him. Victory on the cross as he crushed the head of the serpent. Ever since Genesis 3, when when God was cursing the serpent and he promised judgment on the serpent, he also gave a promise of hope that goes throughout the whole Old Testament. And his final culmination is in Christ on the cross when it says that you will crush the head of the serpent. He crushed the power, the authority of Satan, the serpent's head even though the serpent pierced his heel on the cross. He kept the covenant perfectly. How would Messiah heal like like he promised? He would provide ultimate healing from sickness and sin so that one day we can have a sure hope when all of our sin is completely removed and all the effects of sin are removed, we all will be completely healed, maybe not on this earth, but in the life to come for sure. That's our hope. As it is written, he says, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Jesus made it so that the Gentiles, that we can sing his name like we did this morning. We can rejoice along with his people because he's made us his people. We can let all the peoples extol him because he has broken down the walls that that once separate us between Jews and Gentiles, slave and free. 
Rich and poor, Jesus has broken down all of those walls. That is our hope for humanity. Our hope's not for a new government. Our hope is, is not to raise awareness of some social cause. Those might all be fine and good, but the answer for all of our hopes is found in the reconciliation that Christ brings. And again, he says in verse 12, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. What's he talking about when he says the root of Jesse will come? He's not talking about something creepy like roots coming up from the ground, some nightmare. No, he's, he's talking about the root springing from the tree of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. David is actually the only king in the Old Testament who was referenced as the son of Jesse because he has a special place. God's promise came to Jesse that he would raise up a king. And yet every other king after that was the son of David in David's line. And so now it shows that, that Jesus is the root of Jesse, it says. Now, it could have put it a different way. He could have quoted Isaiah 11.1, 1, just nine verses earlier. In Isaiah 11.1, 1, it says, There will come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. If you think about that analogy, in Isaiah, what was happening at the time is that God's people had been decimated. The Assyrians had taken them captive, and there seemed to be nothing left of the line of David. There seemed to be no possibility for a king. All hope was lost. If you picture in your mind a field full of stumps, that's the picture that Isaiah is prophesying in. Maybe your life feels like that. Maybe you feel like your life is just stumps. That hope for fruit has been cut down. Maybe you feel like you've been destroyed. You've been cut down and there's no hope for growth. Jesus came to give new life where it seemed like God's promises had failed. And, and he says, there will come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Imagine this picture if you've ever been walking in the woods and you've seen an old growth stump. It was cut down and then many, many years later this this root comes out of the side, the shoot comes out of the side of the tree. And that's the image, a new tree, a new birth, new life coming out of the stump or a branch from his roots. But, but Paul doesn't quote that part of the prophecy. He skips down to 10 verses later. He skips down to verse 10 where it says that a root of Jesse will come. Now, How could it be both? You see, Jesus is the perfect fulfillment. He is both the one who is the beginning of Jesse. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one who began Jesse. He's the root. He's the cause of Jesse. And he's also the one who sprung from the stump of Jesse. That must have mystified the scribes for many years as they tried to figure out how can he both be the root and also the shoot, the originator and the one who's come from him. And yet Jesus is both. He became Man, and yet he's also God. If you've ever seen a Jesse tree, you know, they come back in popularity a little bit in some circles. It was the original advent 
calendar, if you will. It wasn't a calendar, but um, each day they would have a different ornament they would hang on this tree to symbolize all of the different people in the lineage of Jesus. And it began around 1000 AD. It's actually the, the very first usage of a family genealogy drawn on a tree is this tree of Jesse. It's this tree of Jesse that shows the culmination in the Messiah. And they say Jesus is both the root and he's the shoot. It's the same answer as when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He said, how could David say, the Lord say to my Lord? And yet Jesus is both Lord of David and the descendant of David. These are fulfilled hopes so much so that Paul writes of him as the hope of God. He is the culmination of the hope of God. He's our fulfilled hope. And it's not hope in someone else. It's not what we hope in today. We don't let us dispel any hope in someone else. Let us dispel hope in our ability to change ourselves. Let's dispel any hope and confess, hey, we've had a false hope in all these other things, maybe in circumstances, situation. We've had hope in, in other people or whatever you're hoping in this morning. However, you answered that question earlier, what you're hoping in. You see, Christ is... Our hope as a servant, he's our hope fulfilled, and he's the one who continues to fill us with hope. He's our filling hope. Hopelessness is dangerous. According to the NIH, people who have lost hope are more likely to die early. People who have lost hope are more likely to have physical maladies are more likely to develop cancer, to have nervous disorders. Losing hope is dangerous. When we get upset, it's often because we're hoping in something or someone that can't deliver. You ever get upset over things like that? You have an expectation that you're wanting and that expectation doesn't get met and, and your hopes are crushed, your hopes are dashed. Maybe you're hoping for success and it doesn't come. You're hoping for notoriety and that doesn't arrive. What are we meant to do? How are we meant to live as Christians? We're not meant to put our hope in any of those things. And why are all those things so frustrating? Because God actually doesn't want us to put our hope in something that will fail us. He's a good God. He wants us to put our hope in, in him, the only lasting and true hope. God's not mean or vindictive when he pulls away our confidence in things around us. He's not mean or vindictive when, when he says, no, I'm going to remove those things you're hoping in. It's actually the kindness of God to say, I don't want you to hope in lesser things and fail to hope in me. Misplaced hope, it robs joy, it robs peace, leads to dissatisfaction. Maybe the, you have misplaced hope in a spouse or Hope in good grades or hope for getting into college or hope for a career or hope of a perfect church or a counselor or hope in medication or medicine or hope in food or drink or control. Jesus gives us a lasting hope that doesn't depend on those things. It depends on the fact that he came to give us hope, fulfill hope, and that he's promised that one day 
we will be with him. But not only that, right now, he, he's come to give us the Holy Spirit. Look down in your Bibles. It, it talks about the power of the Holy Spirit enabling us to abound in hope. This is not just talking about the future, but here and now. Hope to overcome our sins because he's overcome our sins. Hope for people to change because he's changed them. He can change people. Hope for circumstances and situations no matter what happens because he is sovereign over all those things. But ultimately, our hope is in him. Verse 13, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. What are you believing in today? What are you believing in today? God God wants you to have hope and peace. But not through getting everything that you want, getting the perfect gift, which you might not get in six days. Kids, you might not get the gift you're hoping for. And that, that's okay, because our hope is in Christ. And the hope that Paul prays for is that he would fill us with joy and peace. And notice how he says it comes, in believing. And you know what? Believing is hard work. Believing means that we actually have to choose to set our minds on what's true, what's right, and what's good. I was listening to a podcast the other day. It's not by a believer, and it was talking about having mental dominance and how uh, this researcher, he is a neurosurgeon. He also is an instructor at Harvard and at West Point as well. He teaches wrestling. He's, he's multi, um, multifaceted, multidisciplines, and, and this man has realized that over the years that, hey, uh, as we've done MRIs of people, we realize that as people begin to believe something that's true and that, that their brain changes, new neural pathways are created. And, and he, he talks about having this discipline to remind yourself of what's really true, what's really right, what's really good. I thought that really sounds familiar. It sounds like Philippians 4, where Philippians 4 tells us about how we cannot be anxious in in times like we live in. We can remember the Lord's at hand. He has come. Emmanuel is God with us. So therefore, we can be anxious for nothing. And And then what do we do? We give our requests, make them known to God with thanksgiving that he already has fulfilled our deepest needs. And then what do we do? Finally, brothers, it says, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is good, think on those things. What's he talking about? He's talking about believing, and that's how the God of peace gives us peace and joy and hope in him. What are you thinking on? What are you meditating on? What are you distracted by? Let's get back to the practice that that Paul talks about here of having joy and peace by believing or in believing. And that believing comes as we set our minds on what's truly true. On Jesus as our hope. Joy and peace stem from faith. And it's a byproduct of believing in God's promises. Faith and hope, they're they're functioning here as like virtual synonyms that for the God who gives hope, and he does that by increasing faith, which results in joy and peace. If you want joy and peace, let's believe in him who is our hope. Joy in our salvation, long foretold, now come to pass in Christ. We're filled with joy in knowing that God's kept all of his promises, that he's shown his mercy to us Gentiles, that he didn't come as the, the ruling, conquering, disciplining, justice, 
meeting king. He came as a servant. He came to fulfill all of our hopes and to fill us with hope that by the power of the Holy Spirit we might abound in hope. We look forward to Christmas by looking back. We look forward to Christmas by looking back and and celebrating the kind of king that Jesus came as. He came as a servant who fulfilled all of our hopes, who fills us with hope. He is the one that we truly are longing for. He came to give us a relationship with God to restore all of the effects of the curse. For as the curse is found, he came to undo all the effects of the curse. He came as a true and better Adam. He came as a a true and better Joshua to break down all of the walls of Jericho in our lives. He came as the fulfillment of each and every promise in the Old Testament. He came as a better Moses who spoke God's words who himself is in these last days, as Hebrews tells us, has been revealed to us as God himself, Emmanuel. Today we're gonna, we're gonna take communion together. We're gonna look forward to Christmas by looking back. Hopefully you got a little cup and some bread. Oh no, you're, they're passing it out now. Well, there you go, excellent. They're passing out a cup and bread. And hey, I am grateful, by the way, that we, we're not using those little packets anymore. Thank you for whoever (laughs) replaced those. Um, Thank you that we have, I think these are all gluten-free, by the way, in case you're wondering and you're visiting with us or you have a a sensitivity. Um, It doesn't taste that way, though, from what I've been told. So Um, we're grateful that we have hope in the fact that Jesus came to live in our place. He came to give his life for us. He came to serve us with his life in every way. If, you'll, if you've gotten the, the cracker, if you'll take that out. I want you to think about the fact that he came as a servant He came in bodily form as a baby. He came so that in every way he could resist temptation in every way like us and and yet not sin. That's our hope. And that's our hope for us not sinning too. He came in bodily form and not only did he give us hope that we might not sin too, but he earned all the favor of God so that we might receive God's favor. And then he also took all the punishment of God in his flesh that we deserved. He took it on himself. So let's take the bread and let's eat it, remembering our hope. Take the juice. The juice symbolizes his blood shed for us. And there's life in the blood as well. It's symbolizing not only that that he shed his blood for us, but 
our hope is actually in his blood for new life, that we are now of the new line of David, uh, the new shoot, the new root, the new shoot and stem, the new branch. We've been made part of him. We have his lifeblood by faith flowing in and through us. And that's what we hope in as we drink this juice together. Let's drink. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son as a servant, that you didn't send your son with a whip and a rod. You didn't send your son to begin with, with flames of fire. You could have wiped us out, and we deserve that. But God, you sent your son as a servant. Thank you, Jesus, that you willingly came and you lived your life for us. Thank you that you've given us reason for hope. We have objective reason for hope. When our minds tell us that something else is true, Lord, would you give us joy and hope in believing what's true in you? What you say is true about us. What you say you have already done. Would we believe in all of your promises that you have already fulfilled? And yet, Lord, would that give us hope that you will continue to fulfill all those promises you've given to us? God, when we're tempted to waver and be distracted, would you remind us of the source of our hope in Christ, that you are our hope? And we pray that for all those who are weary and heavy laden, that you would give them rest in you. For all those who are distracted, Lord, you would help us focus on you. For all those who are weak, you would give us your Holy Spirit's power. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.